This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, February 8th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, county goes into the weeds of vegetation management. Town Municipal Code gets an update. Buzz from the Telluride Spelling Bee. And a mountain weather forecast. What's known as a noxious weed, sometimes called an invasive species, is a problematic plant popping up in fields along roadside margins or in another disturbed area. Such weeds prove harmful to the native ecosystem. Julie Kolb, vegetation manager for San Miguel County, works each summer to keep such weeds under control. She says operating such weed control is a team effort. To run the vegetation management department in any vehicle that we have, it requires two people. Um, You can't run it by yourself. It's just not safe um, and not uh, recommended. You can't be driving a vehicle, looking out for traffic, trying to do all that, map all the weeds, and be running the spray equipment. So we really do need two people just to run one vehicle. Finding two folks to run the equipment, while that may seem like a simple task, has proven to be a challenge in recent summers. Kolb spoke to the Board of County Commissioners this week in the hopes of troubleshooting a staffing shortage at the Vegetation Department. Kolb says their seasonal job postings have gotten no takers. Uh, In 2022, I was not able to hire any seasonals. Nobody applied for the position despite my best efforts. We run an ad in Indeed, and I did get a lot of applicants. None of them were actually interested in the position. They just applied for it. (laughs) Um, So we had myself and the assistant manager at that time running the truck. And as you're all aware of, I run San Miguel County as well as Ure County. Um, So I am only here 20 hours a week. So that meant we ran the truck two days a week last summer. Kolb says between herself and her assistant in the department, they were able to spray herbicide on three quarters of the county's weedy roadside last summer. But Kolb says she is struggling to keep up with other priority areas. The vegetation department, for example, is required by the state to send out a letter to any landowners with noxious weed on their properties. That those noxious weed letters, um, I did send out a a great deal of them last year. The wording is kind of harsh. And generally, when I send it out, it says I have 10 days. The landowner has 10 days to comply with this, to call me or to submit an alternate plan. Of all of those letters that I sent out, I'd estimate I sent out probably about 30 of them last year to a specific community in Telluride. I got one response. Without the proper staff, Kolb hasn't been able to follow up with those landowners. County Commissioner Lance Waring says he sees a number of issues. But in terms of funding and equipment request, he says the commissioners can help. And the first one that I'd like to discuss with the rest of the team here is the your request for $3,000 additional in your budget to keep the vehicles running. Um, That feels to me like uh, immediate and mandatory and that without that, nothing happens. So all commissioners agreed and they asked staff to find some money for the vegetation department's request. Moving forward, County Commissioner Hillary Cooper says the department needs to gear up because there's much work to be done. The goal is to try to find more resources because I think there are some items on this list that are really important and we need to get to. And just staying on top of county roads is obviously important. And being a partner to our federal managers and and getting to the point where we can be a partner to our uh, landowners is 
is important for me. So I think we need to keep moving towards um, getting to a, a more full department. In the short term, finding those resources might require collaborating with other county departments, such as parks and road and bridges. As the department works to attract more hires in the longer term, it hopes to begin working on projects such as weed eradication in sage-grouse habitat, mapping weed presence in greater detail, and taking advantage of federal funds for targeted projects. Telluride's municipal code lays out the general ordinances of the town. It's a legal document, pages and pages long, with chapters and articles and subheadings. Everything from administration to vehicles and traffic, business licenses to streets, sidewalks, and public places. Included in the depths of the document is a section on elections. Last week, Telluride Town Council discussed updates to the chapter. Here's Telluride Town Clerk Tiffany Cavanaugh. So our code right now references um, Title I, which isn't really appropriate anymore to be included in our, our municipal code. So this is really just a cleanup of language um, to really get in line with Title 31. Updates include changes in language around mail-in ballots. In 2013, Colorado became an all-mail ballot state. So in our current code, you'll see that we still have a lot of terminology that is for a polling place election. So some of these changes is getting rid of that and really just making it in line with Title 31. There's clarifying language around running for office. We didn't have any language in here that actually instructed somebody who wanted to be nominated for office on what they needed to do. Our charter says that there shall be a petition circulated with 25 signatures, but it didn't provide a time frame or anything like that. So this section, I just recommend adding the language from for eligibility to run for office which is 18 years of age or older. Um, You have to be a registered elector. And then you have to have lived in Telluride for at least one year preceding the election. So I'm adding that, as well as the timeframe for circulating the petition, which is always the petitions go out 91 days before the election and must be returned 71 days. That's now in line with Title I as well. Kavanaugh recommends changes to clarify or simplify language around clerk certification processes, cancellations of elections, protest periods, political signs, and write-in votes. But the largest conversation came around campaign contributions. Right now, there are no no contribution limits on municipal candidates. But she notes some communities around the state are implementing limits. Town manager Scott Robson adds it's a conversation arising in many mountain communities. We're seeing examples out there like Jackson, Wyoming, where candidates are spending $60,000 on on town council seats now and big donors are kind of coming in from the outside. And it's quite an interesting new dynamic for mountain, mountain towns. Council is supportive of implementing a donation limit of $400 per person or organization for a candidate campaign. Here's council member Mian Fee. Yeah, I mean, I think it's nice to get it taken care of before it's an issue, um, since I think other communities are seeing that. But yeah, I mean, I guess 400. I, I feel like we're kind of just, I don't love shooting a number, like kind of out of air, but I think 400 seems fine to me. Council member Adrian Christie supports the candidate donation limit, but her bigger concern is with issue committees, things like ballot measures or citizen initiatives. I, I don't know. For me, the candidate thing is less of a concern. I'd like to perhaps be able to talk about the issue, 
the issue committees and um, limiting donations in other areas as well. Kavanaugh says she'll look into donation limits on issue committees. Town attorney Kevin Geiger notes any limits on campaign donations must follow First Amendment rights towards free speech. Town Council plans to discuss the Municipal Code amendments further at its meeting on Tuesday, February 14th. The Palm Theater is packed with Telluride Intermediate School students, teachers, and parents. Everyone is gathered for one specific reason. Welcome to the Telluride Intermediate School Annual Spelling Bee. That's fifth grade teacher Sherry Leeper. This is part of the Scripps National Spelling Bee, and believe it or not, it has been going on since 1925. Almost 100 years of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. She explains the spelling bee taking place in Telluride is just the first step towards the National Spelling Bee. The winner from Telluride may have the opportunity to go to the State Spelling Bee in Denver. If they win there, they could head to the televised National Spelling Bee in Washington, D.C. And so, with that in mind, I want you to know that this is the beginning of a big deal. Okay? Fifteen students from third to sixth grade sit in a line on the stage waiting to spell. The auditorium goes quiet as Courtney Price, judge of the spelling bee and literary specialist at the school, explains the rules. When you come to the mic, you're going to say the word, spell the word, say the word. Okay? If you get it right, I'll let you know. Um, if you don't, I'll also let you know. Then, if you're in the middle of spelling and you stop, you can start again, but you have to use the exact same letters that you started with, okay? So they can't change. Once that letter's out there, it's stuck. Does that make sense? You may also ask for definitions. You can ask for the roots or the part of speech that the word is used in if you need some clarification before you start. But once you start, that's your turn. And with that, the B begins with the first right. word. Your word is smell. Chocolate chip cookies smell so good when they are fresh out of the oven. Smell. S-M-E-L-L. Very good. Thank you. As the round progresses, students in the audience have a harder and harder time containing their excitement. S-P-E-C-K. Speck. And at the end of round one, the theater erupts into cheers. It's round one and everyone's still in. Moving to round two. Round one turns into round two with all the students still in play, but round three, four, and five see the majority of students cut from the competition. At the beginning of round six, only fourth grader Ingram Olson and fifth grader Daisy Robinson are left. Olson spells churned correctly before coming to the championship word. So this is the championship word, okay? So the word is pioneered. Jasmine pioneered the use of baggies to keep board game pieces organized, and it changed our family's life. The crowd erupts once again as Olson takes the crown for Telluride Intermediate School Spelling Beach champion. It's an honor and the beginning of a big deal.
a high-speed upgrade became a time-consuming effort this season at Lift 9, but the wait is over. This Thursday, February 9th, Lift 9 will open for the season, and the new high-speed detachable quad will whisk skiers up the mountain in half the time as the former chairlift. Telski initially hoped to have the lift open on December 16th, and then pushed the projected opening back to late January. Delays in both sourcing materials and finding available engineers further prolonged the chairlift project. In the meantime, Chair 9 terrain was open and accessible by a brief hike from lower down on the mountain. The state-of-the-art Doppelmeyer lift is now ready, and lift ops are trained in standing by for 9's first gears come Thursday morning. It's that special time of the year when across the Box Canyon, the community picks up the same book. This week, the Wilkinson Public Library announced its One Book, One Canyon Read for 2023. The sixth annual community read will feature Breathless, the scientific race to defy a deadly virus by David Quammen. A National Book Award finalist, Breathless tells the story of the worldwide scientific race to decipher the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2, or as we know it, COVID-19, with scientists tracing the virus's source, making possible the vaccines to fight the pandemic. The book is based on interviews with nearly 100 scientists, including virologists from China and around the world. Through his telling, Kwaman explains how infectious disease experts saw the pandemic coming. Some scientists warned of the, quote, next big one and were ignored and clues into the precise origins of the virus. Kwaman will be in Telluride at the library for a book talk and signing of Breathless on Thursday, March 16th at 5.30 p.m. Sign up to get a free copy of the book while supplies last at telluridelibrary.org. Several new bills dealing with student mental health are making their way through the state legislature. House Majority Leader Monica Duran says mental health issues are a major priority for lawmakers this year. Each of us are talking about this. We're talking about it here. We're talking about it with each other. Um, everywhere we go, it's the conversation of just making sure that we're, um, we're highlighting the needs and trying to meet those needs, whether it's in our communities, our schools, um, wherever it might be. One of the new bills would require Colorado's suicide crisis hotline to be printed on all student IDs. Others would help provide student mental health assessments and treatment resources for students with substance use issues. The bills follow historic mental health investments made by lawmakers last year. Governor Jared Polis was in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. He testified in front of the Congressional Committee on Education and Workforce. He told lawmakers the U.S. is in an educational crisis. Let's turn this crisis into action. Many states see this as an opportunity to move forward and innovate. And I'm hopeful that Congress can use this momentum to improve quality, equity, access, and affordability across education. Polis said states are leading the way with innovative approaches to education. He touted recent work in Colorado on career development, apprenticeships, and the cost of education. He referenced Colorado's free preschool program, which launched in the fall, and the state's free community and technical college program for healthcare workers. While in Washington, Polis is also attending the annual meeting of the National Governors Association. 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife has been holding meetings around the state to gather public comment on their plan to reintroduce wolves. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KBUT's Kate Knapp reports on a meeting that took place in Gunnison in late January. Nearly two years after Colorado voters narrowly passed Proposition 114, tasking Parks and Wildlife with reintroducing wolves on the western slope, the agency has a plan. Two large areas have been proposed for consideration as wintertime release sites in western Colorado. The first includes a northern area along the I-70 corridor between Glenwood Springs and Vail, extending down the Roaring Fork Valley. The second is the southern area along the Highway 50 corridor between Monarch Pass, east of Gunnison, and Montrose. The plan aims to relocate 30 to 50 gray wolves from northern Rockies states over the next three to five years, beginning in 2024. While the measure narrowly passed statewide, a vast majority of Gunnison County voters, 57%, opposed bringing wolves back to the state. Some of the biggest concerns were expressed by ranchers in the valley who worried about the financial impacts of another apex predator on public lands. The current draft plan calls for ranchers to get up to $8,000 for every animal killed by a wolf, but many in attendance said that's simply not enough. Dave Todd, who operates a ranch in northern Gunnison County, said compensation can be complicated. When a herd is on the range and a cow is killed, there could be heavy snow or even areas that are inaccessible by horseback, and those delays could be detrimental to business. I saw very firsthand the devastation that coyotes can do on a herd last winter. It was devastating. Coyotes are going to, or wolves are going to be worse. Doug Washburn of Span Ranches in Gunnison told commissioners he too is worried about the proposal's lack of funding. We're having these big in-depth conversations about what we're going to do and there's no money to do anything. Uh, Really putting the cart in front of the horse here. Jason Peterson, whose family has been ranching in Gunnison for generations, told commissioners the profit margins for ranching are slim to begin with and the presence of wolves could put them over the edge. So any undue burden on cost of placing mitigation measures, measures, adding riders, altering our operations will inevitably come closer to putting us out of business. Even still, Peterson said one of the biggest misconceptions is that ranchers don't care about wildlife like wolves or conservation. We don't do it for the profits. We do this for our heritage, for our, for our kids down the road, to preserve livestock, to care for livestock, to care for landscapes, to help CPW manage the private ground and the public ground that all of our animals, our game animals, um, habitate on. Wolf advocates were also in attendance. Paula Watson of Wolfwood, a nonprofit refuge for wolves and wolf dogs outside of Bayfield, spoke in support of reintroduction despite trepidation from fellow volunteers. It was always a complicated conversation. And what I don't think many people realize is how many animal advocates did not vote for reintroduction. Well over half of Wolfwood's volunteers and supporters voted against it. They didn't want to see wolves hunted. They just didn't believe reintroduction could be done well. Watson told commissioners she had high hopes for humans and wolves to coexist in the state. And I voted yes, because I voted on the side of hope. I thought Colorado had a unique chance to do this right and to be a model. The commission will approve a final wolf restoration and management plan in early May at their meeting in Glenwood Springs. The draft plan can be reviewed and comments submitted at engagecpw.org. 
The deadline for public comment on the draft plan is February 22nd. For KBUD, I'm Kate Gnapp. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of snow showers tonight with a low around 10 degrees and blustery conditions. Thursday calls for clouds in the morning followed by clearing with a high around 20 and Thursday night should be clear with a low around 5 degrees. Friday should bring sun and a high near 40 followed by a clear night with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, February 8th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.